Welcome to the Nature Back podcast, where we are talking with investors and entrepreneurs about the climate change and the green economy. My name is Tarmo Virki, and today we are having a special episode to discuss the decisions of COP15 from earlier this week, and on, we'll be discussing on the ways how to turn those decisions into a reality. Our guests today are Catherine von Stuckelberg, scientist working at Harvard and at Single Earth, who attended Biodiversity COP, the COP15, which just ended in Canada, and Merit Valtzalo, co-founder and CEO of Single Earth, who attended the last month of the Climate COP, the COP27 in Egypt. Let's start with you, Catherine. Could you share us with our fresh impressions from corridors of COP15? Yeah, thank you. So... It was, of course, very exciting to be there. The energy was really high. People were enthusiastic. Nature positive was everywhere, even as there were some questions about how that really gets defined. As someone who lives in the States, uh, the sort of the first thing that struck me was that the United States, which of course is not a signatory to the convention, was not the loudest voice in the room. And that, you know, for me already right out of the gate, that was sort of uh, refreshing. Uh, certainly a lot of companies were there and U.S.-based companies and as well academics. But you didn't hear this, you know, sort of dominant U.S. voice, which may come back to bite us when it comes time to implement the convention, right? That's that's sort of the uh, that's sort of the issue there. The other thing is that industry and business um, was very much present. It was a it, there was there are a lot of companies there. Everybody was very enthusiastic, calling for mandatory disclosures. Everybody was calling for mandatory disclosures. The one business sector I would say that I did not see at all was fossil fuels. Uh, essentially any solution that we have going forward is going to involve reduction, really elimination of fossil fuel use. And so the fossil fuels were, were just not present. On the other hand, a lot of extractives were present, uh, including mining in particular, because uh, as we know, we are using technology right this very minute. We all have phones. We all we need the technology, and in order to have the technology, we need rare earths and lithium and various other kinds of metals. Uh, and so, the extractives, I would say, especially mining, were a hundred percent unapologetic and stood up and said, "Hey, guess what? You can't do anything without us." And so. You tell me. You tell me what I need to do. Mandatory disclosure, uh, biodiversity risk footprinting in areas where I'm doing my mining. Whatever it is, you tell me we'll do it, but don't think you're going to get rid of me like you seem to think you might do with fossil fuels. It's not going to happen. Mining is here to stay. So that immediately then opens the door to sort of offsetting credits, you know, that kind of thing of we're not actually going to develop this truly uh, nature positive or, or, or we're not going to have an economic system that is truly nature positive and, and has a, a, a better working relationship with nature because we are always going to have to extract on some level. So, so that was difficult. Um, lots of youth, Lots of indigenous peoples uh, who are sort of universally referred to as the stewards of nature. Uh, it's seemingly none of us can do anything, but indigenous people uh, are the only ones who have really good relationships with nature. And so we need to work with indigenous people more effectively, which is absolutely true. I would say that the youth who were also, uh, I talked with, we, we talked quite intensely with a, a number of youth, like the Green Danes, the Nordic Council, Nordic Youth Council, uh, the Rewilding Europe youth folks, lots of youth. Um, universally, I would say the impression there was skepticism. Uh, lots of talk, this is great, I love talking with everybody. Uh, the Rewilding folks in particular really emphasized, if you go to restoration, that implies that it's expensive and we have to do all these things and we have to manage nature. It's not that complicated. Rewilding is actually pretty straightforward. Um, but the youth are very skeptical that anything is really going to happen 
uh, all this all this talk is great, but it feels like talk. The proof will be in the pudding. Let's see what happens going forward. Very enthusiastic. I love all the ideas, but mm. universally entirely uh, skeptical. Mm. I asked a couple of the youth, sort of, what would you, what what do you propose? Number one, got to get rid of fossil fuels. And number two, interestingly, is remove all advertising. If we just got rid of advertising, that whole sort of sector, uh, amazing things could happen. So that was that was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, those were kind of my first impressions. A lot of energy, a lot of things going on. Um, make it mandatory. Boy, that was really a big one. Mandatory disclosures. Uh, just you have to do it. And in the end, final... Uh, framework. It, it doesn't have quite the teeth that it should. It only makes mandatory disclosures for the largest of the companies. Uh, but everyone who was there said, you know, make it mandatory. It has to be mandatory. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, talk is something which comes always with the concept of UN. There's always a lot of discussions and uh, maybe not especially on the on the decisions which have to be unanimous there is sort of very little kind of real meat on the decisions but this time if you read the final decision is there you know will it change the world for the better well it has the potential certainly everyone agrees we want to be nature positive um the make it mandatory piece of course uh everyone's it, Everyone's moving in the right direction, but again, the devil is in the details. And what I noticed most of all is that, uh, so there's lots of talk about, we've got to put nature on the balance sheet. We've got to grow the wealth. We've got to grow nature. We've got to do things that are net positive. So that that's, that's the nature positive piece is that nature is no worse off by the decision you've made. Um, and hopefully is actually better off by the decision you made. But while nature appears on the balance sheet and there's wide agreement that we need to start using natural capital accounting the way we use accounting for other forms of capital, uh, but there's still then a gap on how does actually nature get onto the balance sheet. Typically there would be then an income statement and that's where you would grow your wealth and that's where you where you where you where where a, a lot of this happens and there's no real mechanism for that so when companies talk about investing in nature they're talking about investing in nature for the purpose of still deriving monetized profit from the product or service that they are producing so they still require consumers to consume nothing fundamentally changes and so systems thinkers uh, would say you're tweaking at the margins and unless you change the system, you aren't actually going to achieve the change that you think you're going to achieve. So we'll see with next year's Living Planet report or in the next you know, several years what that actually looks like. But as long as we have monetized profit in the way that we've always had it, uh, I'm not sure what can really change. And when you hear the companies and the businesses and all of that talk, there's two kinds of people. There's consumers, us, and supply chains, value chains, biodiversity risks. Biodiversity is actually a risk to companies. Why? Because it influences the bottom line. And so your monetized profit is impacted because now you've got this externality that you have to pay for, darn it all. Um, so that's still a gap because if you made if you made it so that every interaction with nature that resulted in nature being better off, that's your profit. The profit is a planet that is beautiful and inhabitable and and equality. That's another big piece of it. There's inequalities everywhere and they're growing. Again, systems thinkers would tell you that you have to change the system in order to change that. If you actually figured out a way to monetize the nature positive profit, um, maybe then things would change. But otherwise, there's still this gap, right? There's a, a, a so-called funding gap. And that was noticeable here as well. One session I went to, um, you know, not to point fingers, but 
there, it was about regenerative agriculture. And it turns out that food companies and also luxury uh, fashion or any kind of fashion really relies or increasingly is trying to rely on um, regenerative agriculture. And so they're all in the room and they're very proud of themselves that they've improved their supply chains and whatnot. And they're working with indigenous people um, and sort of renting out entire villages and, and, and things like that. Um, and they set up a $300 million fund to help with nature positive decisions and things like that. Um, so just a quick Google, I'm sitting in the audience and, and I look it up. In one year, the four companies sitting up there, net, not working capital, et cetera, et cetera, net, so profit, this monetized profit that I was talking about, uh, in the, on the order of like $33 billion in one year. And they're up there, uh, you know, well, we have a $300 million fund and we're really looking for a few additional investors. Um, couple people have put up, a couple companies have put up 140 million so far. I just thought, what? See, this is, we're still, there's still a problem here. There's still an issue. And that session was preceded by a session with completely different speakers and I might say a completely different audience, same stage, same cop, that session was really interesting. It was the indigenous youth. And so there were representatives there from uh, around the globe who are working in climate, who are, who are, are working on solutions, etc. And someone from the audience asked, what would you say to a company that's coming to you and wants to work with you? And, you know, how can we do this better and trying to help out and this and that. And, and one young woman said, you know, sort of unapologetically, um, you know what, I, I just go away. I don't just, if you really believe that I am the true steward of the land and that my worldview is the one that dominates in the space where I work and where I am, I don't, I don't need you. I don't want you. Just leave me alone. Stop sort of poaching my land or tweaking in or saying, oh, I'm, you know, if we just had this little piece for logging and you have that piece, you know, just leave me alone. And everyone cheered and whatever, and the session ended and everyone streamed away. And then this regenerative ag session came. So, you know, it's great. It's hopeful. It's, it's everybody at least is in the room. Uh -huh. At least there, things are happening. But I think there's still, there is still this gap, what people refer to as the funding gap. Uh, but it's, yeah, of course there's a funding gap because we're still locked into this idea that we can fit nature into our economic system when in fact our economic system is embedded in nature, right? And nature has a biophysical constraint. It's called the planet. <laughs> this is all, you know, never mind about outer space. That's a whole other sort of conversation. And, you know, that's another piece of it. But here on this planet, this is what we have. And so there's still this idea, we're going to get nature into the economic system instead of thinking, how can we make the economic system more like nature? Because that's actually not that difficult. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the, to, to my mind, you really, I mean, can you do anything? If you're going to be successful, you sort of really have to commit to something like a nature-backed currency, right? Um, the only asset that has any value fundamentally and from which all else comes is nature. So, and if we have to have this profit and this and all, you know, that are the way our economic system works. Okay, let's do that. So then people get upset because, well, you can't value nature. You can't put a price on nature. Yeah, but we are putting a price on nature and that price is zero. It is the externality that we may internalize or may not. Let's just all admit what's really going on. Mm. One way of you know thinking about it. yeah. Well, uh, looking kind of at this, um, I don't know, twenty-five years of different cops, uh, starting from Kyoto in ninety-seven. Uh, probably there was something be before that, but Kyoto was the first one I was following closely. Uh, it seems to me that economy has kind of come to the picture. When in nineties it was more of the governments deciding on some future vision. Today, actually, at the event, you have the you know corporations around the 
the world actually taking part of it and you know at least using the brain power to uh, work with the governments for, towards the solutions. Absolutely. I fully agree with that. You're right. That in that sense, progress has been made. But at the other side of it, um, if we just talk about climate, for example, you can plot time and you can plot carbon, atmospheric carbon, whatever measure, greenhouse gas, which includes methane, which is you know sort of more powerful, How, whatever metric you want to use over time, it sort of increases that classic growth curve that we're looking for in our economy, by the way, growth, growth, growth. That's the thing that's going to save everybody. It's not, but anyway, it just leads to greater inequality. But anyway, you can plot carbon and it, over time and it just basically linearly goes up. And then you can put the different COPs, IPCC reports, agreements, etc. You can put those on there and they, they plot up as well, uh, but nothing has actually changed right this is the this is the this is the problem and this is what we're going to face with the limited amount of nature that is still uh sort of pristine and that's another thing is this 30 by 30 which great eo wilson i, I studied at harvard i i took eo wilson's class i mean genius absolutely and it is his this idea of 30 by 30 which is that we need to literally conserve and keep essentially pristine 30% of the planet by 2030 or systems, you know, again, systems thinkers, once you pass a tipping point, you can't just sort of backpedal because now you've tipped into a new system. Think uh, eutrophication in a lake or something, right? It tips. Now this is a new system. Coral reefs, they were bright and colorful. Now they're white. You're not going to get the bright and colorful back. You've tipped into a new system. Uh, that is that is you know that that is something that that absolutely can happen and is what we're actually trying to avoid here. But the problem with thirty by thirty, not problem, but the issue I find with thirty by thirty is it does create this dichotomy: the consumer, the indigenous person, the pristine nature, and then the rest of it where we take and do the things. You need a fundamental rethink of how you work with nature. Regenerative agriculture is a good example. Even in that regenerative agriculture panel, the examples they gave of what is really being done in terms of regenerative agriculture, there's this backpedaling. Well, we can't not use nitrogen and phosphorus. No, of course we can actually. You know, there's only so much we can do. We can do a little cover cropping. We can do some intercropping. No, you actually need to rethink the way in which you're working with nature, and you can do that. And then that takes kind of away that thirty by thirty because now you've developed this much more holistic uh, relationship. It, I, yeah, it's hard. We food is a commodity. Uh, here in the States, for example, in California, we grow, uh, as my Dutch friend says, alfalfa. We grow a lot of alfalfa that alfalfa that goes to um, cattle and it's sent to China. You know, it's to trade, international. It's all sort of screwed up. You really do have to fundamentally take a step back, but, but it can be done. And true regenerative agriculture is more like permaculture or agroecology where you let nature do the work. Nature knows what to do. Let nature do the work. And I say this from personal experience because I'm growing a permaculture orchard right here. We have a product, cider. We we want to do the things, but we also don't want to struggle and spray and all of that. So we actually designed the orchard so that for every apple tree, there's a pear and a plum and there's nitrogen fixers and there's canopies and food forests. You can do all these things. You can do food forests at local scales and feed entire communities. Yeah, it's a transformation. That's that's what transformation is. Um, and that's a new system that is a much more stable and much more uh, cooperative system. So I love 30 by 30, the, the idea of it. But then I also don't because it allows us to think this separation. Oh, we'll do nature over here and then we'll do the other things over here that we've always done and it'll be fine. Mm. Maybe there's a better way, which is everybody's working together, mm -hmm. part um, of nature. Absolutely. Uh, Merit, um, you've been very quiet. Uh, 
you in November attended the COP27, the, the climate COP. Is kind of, what are the kind of similarities? Are there, are there similar discussion points all, you know, also at the corridors of the, of the climate COP? Uh, yes, first of all, hey, great to be here uh, and very fantastic to hear Catherine's uh, kind of uh, all these ideas and, and reflections on the COP15. I think in a way COP27 was very similar, like it also um, at least tried to give voice to the indigenous people uh, who obviously play a part uh, in both keeping the biodiversity and all these resilient systems that actually also stabilize the climate. Um, what was also a big topic at COP27 was the... Um, the fact that we need to finance, like we we also we, we need to start uh, paying the global south for the loss and damage that has already been done and that is continuously going to be done because of the climate change. So financing is definitely something that is also um, very much uh, a topic in both COPs. I think eventually what we actually should have is one single COP because I don't think we can like keep climate and biodiversity as a separate uh, discussions because. They're, they're the same. It's the one planet we need to keep the ecosystem functioning in all aspects, including climate, but also biodiversity and all other ecosystem services as well. So there's like no need to actually keep uh, separating all these topics. So in a sense, I hope that eventually we will uh, be focusing on, on this one COP. So I think um, there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of uh, criticism, obviously, uh, about the COP27 as well, because uh, if uh, COP15 still kind of still, like, even if people are critical and kind of don't have a lot of faith in that, there's still like opportunities. But with climate, we already know that we uh, we are not meeting any of the targets. We have been discussing them over and over and over again, and nothing has actually changed. So we now have more of these people at, attending uh, COP27 and, and these climate COPs asking, like, why is nothing changing? And we have the authors of the reports saying that, well, we have been writing the same reports over and over again. We have been telling that this is going to be like that. We don't know why nobody's listening. Like, like we told you this would happen. Here we are reporting again that this happened and it's going to get worse and worse. We know that. So in a sense, like I personally have, of course, a big fear that we're going to see a similar thing happening with the uh, biodiversity agreement as well. I hope it's not the case, but we don't have a very good track record to prove us otherwise. So I think, um, I think uh, maybe one thing that we should take from uh, COP27 and COP26 actually as well, he's kind of having this uh, all hands on deck mentality, which I think was there at COP15 more. So we had the businesses already attending that and kind of trying to find the solutions because it has been uh, become clear that uh, nobody or especially the governments alone will not fix any of these big problems. It's like, as Catherine said, it's a systematic um, kind of error. Like we have built the system in a way that it can't produce any other results than the ones that we are getting. So, and by kind of like trying to find these easy solutions, we're not going to fix the big uh, systematic uh, error that we have. And that's exactly what what the Catherine told us. Like uh, like we have the planetary boundaries. We have a limit to how much we can use natural resources, how much uh, nature can sequester uh, CO two, and, and kind of like like nature can do a lot of fantastic things. It can do undo all of the bad things, many of the bad things that we have done, and you can kind of come back to life. But we just need to let it. We need to give it kind of space. We need to give it time to heal. We need to. We just need to let nature be. Um, so yeah, I think like if I just had to conclude that somehow, I I want to see COP twenty seven and COP fifteen kind of emerge into one COP where we start talking about protecting the planetary ecosystem as a whole, uh, as a as the one ecosystem that we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, the interesting comment about the uh, kind of nobody seems to be listening. In one of the episodes in November, I spoke with a Club of Rome uh, honorary president who spoke about the 1972 report of the limits of growth. And uh, yes, it was the most sold book for decades probably, but no one listened. Uh, it seems to be some kind of the human error system where we don't really want to hear bad news. Well, the economists were the ones who really 
uh, absolutely, you know, methinks the lady doth protest too much. They vilified limits to growth. You didn't take into account technology. You didn't do this. You didn't, you know, because it was, it felt like an attack on the economic system. Well, because it is, because why is growth, why is growth within a constrained biophysical planet? Why is that your goal? And where in nature do you see growth like that being rewarded? Cancer, uh, but it gets shut down. It always gets shut down. And I'm not saying, nor did they say, that growth is, that all growth is all bad. That's, of course, that's not true. Of course, there's a growth phase. Yes, you want certain, when your one-year-old is growing, your one-year-old is growing. You let your one-year-old grow. I mean, it's not that there's no growth. It's that you cannot rely and have as your metric for success economic growth within this constrained biophysical planet, unless you say that growth is literally based on the growth of nature. Okay, if you said that, if you did that, and you sort of monetize that, which is like, oh my God, that's so crazy, how can we do that? Yeah, but you can, because we created the whole thing. Uh, but that's the only way in which growth works. And even then, nature um, regenerates. It does not grow endlessly, it regenerates, right? It's And so people say that's circular economy. Okay. Well, yeah, except that the circular economy has lots of on and off ramps, still generates a lot of waste, still extracts. Uh, it's a step in the right direction, of course. All of these things are steps in the right direction. But are they leading to the kind of change that we, you know, really need to see? Probably in the discussion about limits to growth, there's, you know, the follow on is Earth for all where they took limits to growth, which by the way, limits to growth, if you do the empirical comparison to uh, the trajectories and you, you know, pollution, the, the things that they modeled and you have proxies for what those, what that really represents. And some of them are really easy, like population, birth rate, death rate, et cetera. Um, it tracks, it absolutely tracks. But the limits to growth people will tell you, as I'm sure they told you, it was never meant to be this predictive model or, or anything. It, it's not like that. It's, it's, a scenar it's scenarios of potential futures. And think of it as the future we want, not the future we think we have to have, right? That's the idea. And so Earth for All builds on that and shows how we can have we sort of we can have all the things we can actually have all the things we just can't have all the things in the way in which we've been doing it now but you know there's and there's a lot of nuances there so big news of course out of the states which by the way is not for energy production but this fusion right um which they were actually doing for <laughs> it was under it was under dod department of defense it has to do with nuclear stuff not with energy but the press immediately picked it up as oh my god now here's our free renewable fabulous uh energy but you say to yourself well wait what happens when there's no more monetized profit from energy <laughs> is that actually we say we want that shell doesn't want that i mean a lot of people don't want that actually if they're being honest and they think about it because what does free, abundant energy, like photosynthesis, like the way that nature does it. Nature also has free, abundant energy. Uh, what does that actually mean for the economic system and profit and all of that? Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting future. The uh, Looking forward, um, we the kind of uh, outcomes of different COPs and uh, the recent reports and the uh, and the stage that where the world is, I mean, Merit, uh, we have a solution for them, right? We do. We do have a very good solution for them. And it's kind of, um, as a startup founder, it is now, I think, the craziest time when we can actually say that the United Nations just validated our utopian startup idea, which is like a crazy point in time and kind of goes down in history for us, at least. So we've been... Um, like maybe if I go back uh, in time a bit um, to the time when we founded a company called Single Earth, uh, the reason for doing so 
uh, came from a very local problem. So uh, me and my co-founder, uh, we come from uh, Estonia. Catherine also has roots in Estonia. So uh, it's a tiny country, but uh, but connects a lot of people across the world. Um, and Estonia, like basically 50% of Estonia is covered with forests. And, uh, and forests is kind of like, it's even a part of our national identity. We consider ourselves a, a forest nation. Um, and we love nature, we ha enjoy having it around us, we go to nature uh, quite often. But at some point we understood that maybe we are, are not the forest nation we thought we were, maybe we're a forestry nation, maybe, maybe we, we have been cutting down too much of our beautiful forests. And I think that it was like roughly three years ago when this became a, an actual debate um, in the society. So people started to discuss it and it was a kind of a heated public discussion around like, are we cutting down too much of our forests here in Estonia? And that was when me and uh, my co-founder Andrews, we got together and we started solving actually this very local problem. So is there anything that we can do to uh, make it stop so that we would have more of these forests and, and so that we would kind of create a way uh, how landowners who want to cut less of their forests down? So that was the starting point. And uh, quite soon we realized that the, the underlying driver, like why do we have so much forestry happening? So how, how, why do we have so many forests that have been taken down is obviously money. And we understood that the only way how the local landowners had been earning money for, for the lands that they own is by selling raw material. So the only price tag that was connected to, um, to nature is actually raw material. And if uh, as a landowner you want to earn anything from, from the land that you have, you, you only can uh, extract raw material and sell that. So we understood that it's, it, it is kind of the, a systematic mistake again that we need to fix, like we need to create other ways to to monetize uh, having nature to the landowners. And that was the starting point. And obviously we then understood that it's not just Estonia, it's not just forests, it's actually all kinds of land use all over the world. And it's kind of always driven by the same thing. That as a landowner, you can only earn money if you extract raw material, which means that you destroy the ecosystem and it's actually not good for, for the planet. And uh, that was where we started. Um, and then we... Uh, try to find business models that will kind of help us to achieve the, the, the goal. The first business model um, that we stumbled upon, and, and I think also more or less the only one besides like the raw material, uh, material extraction was, was the carbon crediting business models. And then I think for a good year or so, we tried to fit nature protection into carbon frameworks. And it was very, very difficult because like turns out nature is not here to just suck carbon out of the atmosphere. <laughs> um, and, and because of the carbon crediting systems, they are always based on this additionality. So if you want to sell a carbon credit, you have to do something additionally, which means that whatever the nature is already doing is kind of not good enough. It doesn't qualify as a carbon offset. So, so you still can't use like an existing forest to create any additional value from there. So, so there we were like trying to say to landowners, like you don't have to cut down your forest, but we couldn't also fit them in the carbon crediting uh, world. Like, I think the only way more or less would be if we were able to prove that they have a clear intention of cutting it down. But then again, we would still be then monetizing the intent of the landowner and not exactly what nature is actually doing. So we kind of had to had to decide like are we go like we needed to bend some sort of rules so we had to decide like are we going to the bend the rules of ecology or the bend the rules of like the carbon crediting or the economy and obviously we decided like we're not going to bend nature like na let's just be very fair to nature for once and try to describe everything that it does and let's not try to limit ourselves and our thinking to what has been done already so we started this journey uh, where we decided that let's let's look at everything that nature is doing um, and try to put that into numbers. How to, how can we quantify the good things that nature do? Nature is doing. I guess we also understood uh, one point to add there is that if we only look at carbon and there have been carbon crediting systems, if they only quantify everything in carbon, then uh, biodiversity gets lost quite quite fast in the equation. So if it makes more sense to cut down a forest and replant a new one than to keep an, the existing one, then it's it's not a correct system. It's it's wrong. It's stupid. We don't need that. 
So, so we understood that biodiversity has to be a part of this equation. Uh, uh, but once we started adding biodiversity, we thought that like, why don't we all, how can we favor only carbon and biodiversity? Uh, why don't we add all other ecosystem services as well? Like the fact that we don't know how they work doesn't mean that they're not necessarily. Um, the fact that we don't know how uh, wetlands or forests make sure that we have this functioning water uh, system on the planet doesn't mean that it's actually not needed to protect. So, so we we started this very strange uh, kind of journey where we were telling people that we were trying to describe the work nature does and create tokens out of it. And, and at first, like like three years ago, it was very difficult for anybody to understand what we're doing and why we're doing this and how this is going to actually turn into something that, you know, company or like investors want to invest in. But for some reason, we or like very luckily, we, we were able to uh, to prove what we're doing to some of the investors who also fueled uh, our growth. And thanks to that, uh, we, we reached this very pivotal moment where we were able to hire our own science team. And this kind of um, brought us to the next level where we were able to actually build the models to describe how nature works, what are the ecosystem services that it's providing. And, and that was kind of uh, the, the big part that we now have uh, kind of achieved or the first milestones that we have um, uh, achieved. The second part of what we do is to assign this financial value to that. So if you think of um, economic value or like the financial value that we have in the world, like it is kind of um, connected to something or it used to be connected. If, we, if you think of the monetary systems, we used to have uh, money that was backed by gold, which is a, also a limited resource on this planet. Um, and it kind of made sense to have that until we wanted to have more growth and it didn't make sense to have that connection anymore. And now we're back in the place where we need to have this limit because the economy is growing way too fast. It's, it's, uh, it has been destroying the ecosystem around us. So we ended up coming up with a system where we create tokens based on the work nature does. And then, and then we started thinking like, what if we roll this out as an actual currency? What if the global currency would uh, one day be connected directly to nature? The more nature we have, the more money we have in circulation, the less na nature we have, the, the kind of less wealthy we also become. And wouldn't that be the incentive for humans to start protecting nature? Like they, the main driver of all the decisions seems to be money after all. So why don't we just place uh, nature at the heart of this value creation then and kind of uh, help uh, let people do what they want to do, kind of have their uh, financial incentives in mind. But as we have connected these financial incentives with nature protection, also protect nature while doing that. So that was kind of like we understood that if we're able to build a system like that, then this would be the both, best of both worlds. So the economy would still kind of have a clear functioning system um, and the nature would be a part of that. Because like a big part of um, the problem that we see here is that nature is not a part of the economy right now. So it's, it's kind of a separate things. You sometimes give donations there and you hope that the problem goes away, but it's not a systematically like a, an integrated part of, of the economy. So we only extract raw material, but we don't give anything back to nature. So, so that was kind of uh, how we came up with the idea. Um, it has been quite a struggle to get this message through for a couple of years because we have been, while everybody's talking about carbon, we want to buy carbon offsets. Oh, you're not a carbon offset. Like we, we don't have, like we don't need this type of an instrument. And we have been trying to explain it. Yes, of course you do. Like everybody needs, needs to have biodiversity and ecosystems functioning around us. And um, and now we have this. Now we have this validation and we have this global agreement that this is the thing. Biodiversity needs to be protected and action needs to be taken on this. And uh, while everybody was kind of only focused on the carbon part, we very early on understood that carbon is not the only problem. It's obviously a huge problem, but it's not the only problem that we're tackling. So we understood that we need to have something that connects an instrument that connects the entire ecosystem uh, health in, in one, so one unit that would represent it all and kind of um, be able so that we would be able to place all financial incentives on that. Um, and this is what we came up with. Uh, Catherine can probably tell uh, more about the kind of the scientific uh, background of, of how it's actually created. But for us, like this United Nations coming together, agreeing that 
we need to protect nature is a huge validation that we have been right the whole time. And I think the craziest part is that the way we measure ecosystem integrity is very similar to how United Nations has been thinking about this. We have been like, there are two research groups doing this ecosystem integrity research in parallel and kind of coming to the same conclusions. One of them is the United Nations, and the other one is a startup with their own science team and just kind of having their right, I don't know, mission-driven uh, thing that is kind of keeping them going towards the right direction. So it is very difficult to put into words like how important this agreement is from that perspective. Obviously, the agreement is not ambitious enough. I totally agree that there's like so much room for growth there. But I think it's historical because we have this type of validation and it, the topic is now on the table and, and we, with our solution, can also start solving something that people are now more aware of than they were before. Look, single earth is betwixt and between. Mera just said it by, oh, we need investors to, right? And those investors are looking for a monetized return in some way, right? So we're still, we're, we still have to function in that system, but yet what we really wanna do and what we are doing is we are paying individual landowners to make nature positive decisions, right? And we started with forests. Melit just gave us the story. That's not where it ends. It actually, uh, ideally, ultimately, yeah, we would actually have every pixel on the planet in the platform, right? That's really the way if this is really going to work, it has to be that way. And that sounds huge and lofty and, and you know, moonshot and sort of crazy or whatever, but it's really not. And it is exactly what we need. That whole thing of sort of the profit and all of that is part of, or is part of this. And we are actually also struggling with that. But we are also really doing the science because it's not just, you know, we talk about biodiversity and for a lot of people that's kind of, species richness or maybe mean species abundance or what we can see above ground. Now there's a little bit more on eDNA because we can recreate sort of what all the species that are there, but it's more complicated than that because what do species need in order to be successful, in order to survive at the population level? Well, they need habitat. So habitat is now, right, that's land or water or it's it's nat it's intact nature and so there's this idea of essential um variables that we pursued and as Merit mentioned uh, others have been pursuing it as well um and and that's what our ecosystem integrity index looks like it's structure composition function we use well-established data sources we're working with other scientists you know that that part of it we feel really good about and essentially we have a digital twin right so we can actually sort of monitor the health of the planet at the global scale, but make decisions at very local scales, because this is, again, how systems work. It's a lot of, you know, at, at COP15, there was sort of a, a, a little joke when we'd be talking about single earth and people say, wow, what's the smallest land that can get in your platform? And I said, well, it's about, it's like three hectares. And so you're saving the earth three hectares at a time. And it's like, you know, ha, ha, ha. It's like, yeah, well, actually we are. And you know what? It was actually quite believable to people. It was like, that's great. You are literally saving the planet three hectares at a time. Yeah, because three hectares adds up here, there, everywhere. And by the way, now we're working with larger uh, conserved lands and things like that. But this is, again, gets back to that idea of this, this functional positive relationship with nature that it can't just be, now we're in a situation where we do need to actually conserve primary forest, but it can't just be nature is over here alone and pristine. It has to be making, rewarding economically, financially, nature positive decisions. And what does that look like? It might look like a food forest in a Chilean town that, you know, it looks different in different places, but it really represents this more functional relationship with nature that results in nature being healthier than it was before people got involved. It's actually quite simple and, and elegant. And um, now we just need everybody. <laughs> everybody believes it, but now we actually need everybody to act on it. Do it.
yeah just just to it quoting the the non kind of non allowed uh, adver- adverts of the ad- advertising world i'm slightly confused about how you know abolishing uh, or all advertising will change the world much for the better but maybe it does oh well you'd have to talk to the the green youth about that but uh well you can sort of see there's a lot of in the in the mo- in the money world and monetize there's a lot you need the advertising what well, you don't need the advertising but you need the advertising in order to get the interest going for people to consume and do the consumer thing the advertising itself is big 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 dollars right think of the uh the super bowl the super bowl here in the in the states you know the ads that come up during this advertising is responsible for a lot of the kind of mindless money if you want to put it that way um and again i'm sure uh, i don't want to speak for the for the green youth because i'm i'm sure i'm, I'm you're not, not part of you're not part of that organization right. anymore no uh, well sadly i don't think i qualify as youth but maybe they <laughs> even at single earth um, we did a little survey at what does nature mean to me survey and so we did the demographics whatever and there's a few people out on the i was like oh that's me <laughs> there i am on the <laughs> okay <laughs> but the youth are the future right this is, i mean i always say this. this is why i go right i got in any situation where i am i go right to the youth um so i'm president now of the society for risk analysis you know very you know mind numbing um and there uh we just and we're a society that deals with risk actually so that's you know biodiversity that's, uh, right and that yeah well which again this is interesting that the again when you talk to the companies they say oh biodiversity risks climate risks like what does that mean oh the risk to the profit again whereas we would say or i would say um actually it's your system that is putting biodiversity at risk right so again it's the it's the it's the tail wagging the dog it's mm-hmm. you know it's not if you need the biodiversity and you need the the intact nature um to do that but anyway at this society for risk analysis meeting the first thing i did was go see um the youth the young people because that is the future and we all have to work together and it's your planet too and you probably have some maybe not so good ideas but you also probably have some good ideas and um yeah. that you know it's just like the little seedling mm-hmm. want to foster that you want that to grow up yeah. to a certain point um, and, and and that's the future absolutely uh starting to slowly wrap up i mean uh, we have the uh, the problem defined we have to, the solution defined how we can uh, the merge those two things make it clear so how do we merge this thing so i think it has to be the solution has to be scalable enough to uh, connect all the different players uh, on this planet in the economy so we have the consumers we have the businesses we have investors we have the governments and that is why i come back to this like what is the one thing that connects all of these players of the economy well it's the, it's the money it's the currency that we make our transactions in so in essence uh, how to bring this all together is when we start collaborating together we have the science we have the economists we have the consumers like everybody has to be a part of the system and we can do it uh, i think what has changed over the past few years is that the crazy utopian idea that we had like we have this it's working we are literally creating a new currency based on nature we have the first tokens is this first merit tokens minted it's it's there it can be used so it's it's no longer about like are we going to become like um nature positive or net zero by 2030 we we can do that today we can do that tomorrow if everybody joins us if all companies decide that this is what we want to do if all consumers are on board we can totally do that it's it's something that we can do in a matter of like hours everybody just open your wallet switch to this currency land owners come on board we have the system it's actually doable so it's it's not not utopian it's not something that can't uh, can't be achieved it's totally doable we did it so so uh, yeah we just need to now bring that to the world and um, we can have a very sustainable uh, future so a slightly more nuanced uh, answer perhaps it is a combination of bottom up like that consumer demand etc but it is also top down and this was something that was talked about at cop 15 
So what really needs to happen is, so first of all, single earth, essentially what we're trying to do is become the global central bank, right? Which uh, that, you know, that, again, whoa, that's so crazy. It's like, yeah, but is it really? So at COP, what was talked about is if this is really going to happen and we are actually going to change the economic piece of this, which is the driver of the biodiversity loss, you need governments to send the signal to their central banks and you need the central banks to send the signal to the companies and investors, right? We started, tried half-heartedly to do this in the States where we have the SEC now saying there's mandatory climate disclosure. Certain political party here in the States was like, what? No, 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 you can't do that. Why can't you do that? Well, because it's going to change everything and a well-known bias in humans is the status quo bias. We all want things to sort of be the way they were. This is what restoration is all about, right? We're going to restore the environment. To what? Restore it to what? Now you just got to let it go. That's what the rewilding people say. Let it go. You can't get it back. You can't do that. But anyway, you need governments to send the signal to the central banks. Very, very, very important. Central banks send the signal to the investors, to the companies, etc. And then it goes down to the consumer because we only have a certain amount of power, but we actually have a lot of power. So if at the same time, consumers, and they are starting to be sort of more demanding, right? It's like, well, I want my products to be compostable and I can't be using all this plastic and you got to make it easier for me. And with all the packaging, my God, enough with the packaging. It has to be both. There has to, there, it has to be a combination of sort of top down and bottom up. And the real thing is it's the central banks they actually control everything fundamentally so just make single earth the central bank and we'll take care of it yeah we're working on it uh thank you ladies and uh thanks to all uh, listeners uh, we'll be back with our new episodes of nature back in 2023 have a good holiday season thank you so much it was a great pleasure to be here thank you happy holidays Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.